This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. When people recruit, we do so much work usually to weed out the weak when the weak are happy to weed themselves out. So my strategy is to identify the strong. That's intrinsically what you're doing when you say, tell me why you're interested in this. And if they just say, oh, because I like working from home, well, okay, but that's, that's not by definition somebody intrinsically motivated and that you know is capable. Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO and founder of Managed Flood and soon to be Managed Social. It is Friday, the 16th of February, heading well into the year. I'm coming to you live from downtown Sydney, Australia. With me, as always, is my host, Kate Frappel, the design lead at Managed Flutter and Managed Social, who is coming live to you from the wonderful Whistler, Canada. This is the advantage of distributed teams and remote teams. We are spread out all over the world. So, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. And no worries. It's good to be here again. So we are episode 113. As always, you can find our previous episodes of the podcast at itsamonkey.com. We're trying to bring them to you once a week. So make sure you subscribe with your favorite uh, podcast player. And um, Kate, actually, I had to change phones this week because I a couple of months ago, I bought the new Google Pixel. And I loved it and everything's great. But the, the headphone via the USB-C sort of died and um, I had to change the phones and go to the retailer and it was a whole drama and it was actually incredibly seamless to transfer you know the backup from the Google apps backs up your phone once a day and it was really seamless to to transfer everything across to the new phone except one aspect was the podcast subscriptions you've got to be really careful depending on what podcast player it might not carry over your subscriptions over so I had to manually in my podcast player um, podcast republic save all my podcast subscriptions and then upload it because it's actually if you build up podcasts over the year and you curate your list quite nicely it'll actually be a little bit of a pain to rebuild that up yeah definitely I mean it's also a good excuse to do a bit of a clean out though it is. It is. And uh, I probably, you know, there's probably 60, 50% of the podcasts I don't listen to regularly in there. And I probably, you know, listen to probably a dozen very, very regularly. I hope we are on your list if you are listening to us, of listening to us regularly. Today, later on in the show, I'll be chatting to Steve Acho, who's wrote a book about tech hiring. And we chatted to Steve last week about tech recruiting and why is it broken. And, and Steve has written a book about this. And I chat to him about all those exciting topics. It's something, obviously, we talk a lot about being a tech company ourselves. It's something that's very core. And we know uh, some of you have your own companies or, or, or team members in companies. So team building is one of the really, you know, besides finding uh, your product market fit and despite sort of managing your cash flow, sort of definitely close on those two is building your team. So I had a chat with Steve and that's coming up a little bit later on in the show. So stick around. As usual, first we try to bring you a couple of news items to help you stay on top of uh, this fast moving tech industry. Kate, Google announced that they going to come up with a stories type of format was similar to Snapchat. Now, Am, am I correct in understanding this? At this stage, it's just for publishers, right? This isn't for consumers to create their own type of Instagram stories or Snapchat stories. This is for select publishers to create a story type experience uh, related to a news event that, and it might only sort of last for 24 hours or so. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, something similar to that. So at the moment, it's a developer preview, and it's called AMP, so AMP Stories. They're just testing it with a couple like of selected publishers, so um, you know People and CNN, for example. So yeah, basically the same idea as Snapchat and Instagram Stories, um, but they're going to appear at the top of Google search. So previous to this, they had what they call AMP articles, and they basically they're optimized for mobile and for loading faster. Um, and they sort of come up as a bit of a list in Google so that they've already been using them. And now these stories are going to be basically the same, but also at the top. And they're going to have, you know, visually rich content, you know, that moves and, you know, to 
then Google's not going to own the content. You are eventually, as businesses, going to be able to create your own. Um, but at this stage of the game, they're just testing it. Yeah, I've been familiar with AMP. Those are those fast-loading content on your phone, which is which is quite cool. But the stories, the stories aspects is quite interesting. Uh, do you use on Snapchat? I see on Snapchat some publishers push in content through there. I never really look at it. Do you look at it? Um, it depends. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. I mean, the so on the the right hand side, most icon is called the discover section, um, and that's where you could find stories from. You know, the likes of BuzzFeed or uh, I think Cosmopolitan do one and, you know, different tech companies and news outlets do them as well. Um, and they're all in stories format. And usually you can actually swipe up mid-story to read an article. Um, so it's it's not a bad way of consuming stuff. Um, I do quite like the BuzzFeed ones, but I'm not checking it every day. I would be surprised if Twitter are not looking at some stories type of feature, both for their users as well for the publishers, because they haven't created any stories type feature. I mean, they got the moments, which in a way is a little bit like that, but it doesn't have any sort of time limitation on it, does it? Yeah, I mean, moments are more like a like an article, really. Like it's just like dragging a bunch of interesting tweets about a certain topic into a web page. So it's really just a summary. I wouldn't call moments stories. I mean, Twitter could potentially do it, uh, but they'd have to be careful. They're really focusing more on uh, broadcasting news at the moment. Yeah, I think Twitter, they're trying to capitalize on the fact that it's Twitter's always been about breaking news and that real-time network. So they want to capitalize on that. Where I think, I think they've got the advantage over the other platforms where it's just, you know, their strength is just just the real-time nature of it. I don't think anyone – I think Twitter still own the real-time space when there's breaking news, sort of Twitter's, you know, where it sort of has the most velocity. Facebook still has, you know, lags a little bit or it's just, it's just not set up for that quick type of bouncing around a, a news item or a conference. So I think if Twitter are smart, which no doubt they are, they'll realize that that's their competitive advantage over the other platforms. Speaking of which, the Twitter share price has been doing very nicely after Twitter announced for the first time ever that they made a profit last quarter. So that was a big deal. And their share price just really bounced quite nicely. But, of course, they're losing one of their top guys, Anthony Notto, who is their chief operating officer. He's going to be CEO of another company. So, um, yeah, you know, and, and this leads into our, our theme later on in the show, talking about tech recruiting and hiring and retaining. Even even the top companies have have the same issues, right? Not a, not a straightforward problem to solve. Second news item. Wow, this was quite an interesting one that you sent me um, about self-healing artificial skin that can be used to embed sensors in. Tell us more about this. Yeah, so it's a, I guess, a few different researchers have been working on different types of electronic skin for different reasons and mostly in the idea of using it in VR um, and AR. Um, but this new particular one is like a thin layer of film that you can put on your skin perhaps type thing and it measures the pressure, temperature, humidity and the airflow and basically if it cuts open it's like made of these three sort of compounds which can mend themselves now this 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 is what i found actually most intriguing the self-healing property that if it gets a little slit in it or a cut in it it manages to recombine and and heal itself right yeah yeah, so the article says three uh, commercially available compounds uh, that get mixed together in a matrix and basically they're laced together with silver nanoparticles. And so when something's cut, the two sides of the wound will actually be attracted to each other and close back up again. That's amazing. And it, it says even if you really destroy it, you can even then what put it in water and it totally recreates itself? Yeah, so there's a, a solution uh, that you can make. And it basically separates all these compounds again so that you can reuse it in a new piece of skin, electronic skin. Wow. So, it's, so the idea is you'll, you'll have this, this it's almost be like a plaster or what they call a Band-Aid, right, with some sensors on it. And it will last quite a long time because it will self-heal itself or you can sort of reset it by 
mixing it up in water and it's it can just monitor all sorts of bits and pieces and just sit there and ping some notifications to your phone right yeah potentially i mean some of the other companies are um are using it to manipulate virtual objects that's why it sort of comes into vr and they use magnets so you don't actually have to touch things i guess if you think about like vr is mostly controlled by cameras and the idea that it's seeing you move and your motion. Um, but these sensors are reacting to, um, you know, chemicals and movement. So there's sensors in the actual thing that, that talk to a magnet, which is programmed to do certain things when certain voltages hit the magnet. It's quite difficult to explain. But, um, but yeah, there's a few articles. I'll put them in the show notes so you can read about it. It'll be particularly interesting for, like, in the future for uh, prosthetics and even robots and things like that. You know, I think I think there's been so much talk about cryptocurrency and there's been so much hype around cryptocurrency that, that we're forgetting that there's innovations in all these interesting other areas. And uh, yeah, hopefully the, the crypto hype will die, die down a little bit and we'll uh, get to get to back onto the track with the AR and the VR and the cyborg sort of, you know, mixing us with technology. And um, there's a, a lot of development. There was Boston, I think it was Boston Dynamics, is it? That, that robot company out of Boston, they released a video a few days ago of the, one of their robots um, that walks up to a door, senses it's a door, and extends its hand and opens the door and just walks through the door. You know, and it was very, very, very cool. All, all this technology is compounding incredibly, incredibly fast. So uh, it's uh, the, the next few years are going to be super, super interesting. I don't know where we're going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. There's also some guy, I don't know if you saw in the news, Kate, there was some guy that claimed to be from the future. Did you read about that? No. <laughs> some, guy, <laughs> some guy that he claims to be from... I can't remember, 2030 or something like that. And he's, uh, they did, they asked him questions and gave him a, a lie detector, a polygraph test. And uh, whilst he was, and he passed the lie detector test. And he said he's, he's come back to today under great risk to himself. And he spoke about uh, all these topics, uh, including the fact in which he said that uh, Donald Trump is going to uh, win another election. And um, he named the person that's going to be the president in the U.S. after Donald Trump, which I think I think was a woman, some unknown some unknown name. And he spoke about some other technologies and the you know. And I mean, I don't know, ninety nine percent chance, ninety nine point nine percent chance that I don't know. This is just a bit wacky stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I think it, it may be possible, but not now. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's possible in today's age. Imagine but I wouldn't put it past them in the future. I mean, like think think now. Could you, you know, fifty years ago, would you have thought about skin that can heal itself chemically that we would make that's not natural? Like, oh, would look, it? Everything. I mean, even the fact that we're talking for zero cost in a live, high quality format across the world just you know something which we consider just staple so yeah, the right technology compounds but ima- imagine if he was i mean it would be pretty it would be pretty trippy if he's actually you know and and i'm not really one big into conspiracies and woo woo stuff and all of that i'm a pretty but i don't know in theory in, in theory if you can bend time which i think einstein predicted if if you travel the speed of light time slows down and all these funky things but the question is kate if he's from the future why can't he just predict the lottery number tickets yeah good <laughs> right maybe yeah i don't know why you would go straight to the media yeah look i mean it's all either it's one way of getting getting a story in there, but who knows? It's fun. It's fun to talk about and and discuss the implications in any case. So uh, anyway, that's that's the, those are the stories for episode one one three. We're going to take a break. Remember, you can tweet us, you can email us. Uh, we try to do these podcasts once a week, and um, 
We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with an interview with Steve Acho, who's the CEO of Solstice Consulting Group and is the author of Why Technology Recruiting is Broken and What to Do About It. And I had a great chat with him about tech recruiting, remote teams, building teams, hiring, etc. So uh, we'll be back after the short break. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used Manage Flitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Managed Flitter. And on this podcast, we talk about everything related to technology, startups, and all those exciting bits and pieces. Now, I know many of you have your own company or you are looking for a great gig in a great company and one of the topics that you'll probably notice we chat quite a bit about on the the podcast is how how crazy the tech industry is from uh, finding and and retaining and recruiting the right people and from the other side all these smart people that are looking for the right people to join it's a great industry there's a lot going on we all trying to optimize our own side of the story and um it's uh, a, a lot of challenges unique to our industry and not unique to our industry, and it's moving incredibly fast. So I'm uh, happy to say at the end of my Skype line, I have Steve Acho, who's the author of a book called Why Technology Recruiting is Broken. And Steve is also the CEO of the Solstice Consulting Group. So uh, we've, we dragged Steve on to chat about all these exciting topics. Steve, thanks so much for joining us, joining us all the way from Detroit, Michigan. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So, Steve, your book, Why Technology Recruiting is Broken and What to Do About It. Um, why is technology recruiting broken? It's something I actually talk about with some of my team that, you know, actually, funnily enough, just yesterday we were talking about um, a, a certain position that's still open. And I said to our tech lead, Ricky, I said, it's amazing that the process of recruiting really hasn't changed that much despite LinkedIn, despite job boards, mm-hmm. despite so much. At the end of the day, we still have to have these face-to-face interviews and tech tasks, and it's still such a cumbersome process. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I think it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually make the, the argument that not only – isn't it easier? But the technology that we rely on and that helps us in so many areas of our lives actually exacerbates some of the problem when it comes to hiring and getting hired. And I can tell you what some of those are. I'm, I'm in general not going to complain or rip on the industry unless I have a solution and, and something valuable for your listeners. But I'll start by saying that you're exactly right. There are, you know, despite a huge proliferation of new technology and businesses operating very different, there haven't been drastic changes in the actual process that people use, that companies use to recruit people. They just use different mediums. They just use technology. But there's a, there's a problem that I like to, that happens in a lot of businesses. And I like to illustrate with, with a simple story. There's a woman that cooks for her family all the time. She cooks a roast and her husband has seen her do this many times. And he notices that every time she cooks this roast, she chops off the ends of the roast. She, she wastes about 20% of it. And then she puts it in a pan and puts it in the oven and, and bakes it. And he finally says, after seeing her doing this so many times, why do you always chop off the ends whenever you make a roast? And she said, I don't know. You know, my, my mom taught me that. I'm, I'm actually going to ask my mom. So she calls her mom and her mom says the same thing. I don't know. My, my mother taught me that. Go call your grandmother. So she calls her grandmother and her grandmother says, oh, when we first came to America, we had a tiny apartment, we had a tiny oven and the roast wouldn't fit in the oven. 
And and so it just kind of illustrates something that I think happens in so many businesses. It's just the, this is how we do it, or this is how we were taught to do it syndrome. And no one's actually asked, does it still make sense, right? And so one of the biggest things that I think is broken about recruiting I don't care if you're using the newspaper and old-fashioned, you know, get together and, and meet every single person that applies by mailing you a resume. I don't think that happens very often, but even if it did, one of the old practices that hasn't changed, and I believe this is true in Australia and in Europe and everywhere that I've seen, it's not just a, a U.S. problem, is that when companies go to recruit people, the people look at a job description first, and those job descriptions very often have two huge problems. One of them is that they're not compelling or interesting. They're, they're boring, and there's really no reason. I mean, if you look at it almost as a marketing function, Apple would never have an ad for their iPhone that just had a 20 bullet point long list of specs for the iPhone, right? They would, they would make a case for why you need this in your life. So one, it's boring. But the second part, and maybe the more important part, is that job descriptions, Kevin, usually don't describe jobs. They describe the qualifications and the requirements and the skills and the experience that people need to have in order to do the jobs. I would say often they spend 80 to 90% of the, the total words on the page of the job description not actually describing the job. And in the worst case, they don't describe the job at all. And the reason I say technology recruiting is broken and what to do about it, even though I think this is very prevalent in, you know, I don't I don't care if you're, you're hiring a a host at a restaurant, you know, versus uh, an iOS developer to create an app for your small or medium-sized business. Oftentimes, when you see job descriptions, it just starts with, we're a great company, here's why you want to work for us, which is great. And then the very next thing it dives into is, must have five years of experience in iOS, must have three years of experience with this database, must have you know, and, and it just gets right into qualifications. And in the defense of any job seeker looking at that, they can't accurately let you know whether they are able to do the job because you haven't told them what the job is. And so the one thing that I'm trying to evangelize, if I could just, if I, if it could just be one thing, there, there's lots of I think perspectives and strategies and tactics that people can use both to find jobs and to hire the right people so that those people are doing work that they consider meaningful. But if I could change one thing with a magic wand, it would be to get the hiring side, whether you're hiring one person or a team of people, to pay more attention to writing more compelling job descriptions. And number two, to write those job descriptions in a way, the trick to describing the outcome and the performance objectives of the jobs is forget about the person, forget about hiring even. Imagine you already hired a person and it's 90 days later and you're giving them a performance review, right? Performance is, is in the word, right? There's no one in the world that does a performance review after 90 days and says, congratulations, Kevin, you've been here for three months. When you first came in, you had five years of iOS experience, and now you have five years and three months. So you're going to get a raise. No one talks about what you have. They talk, to, they talk about and they reward you, hopefully, for what you do with what you have. It's what you do with your experience and your contacts and your education and your, your Rolodex that matters once you get into the job. So since we're rewarding people and paying them based on performance, we should hire them based on that. And so step one is to write a compelling job description, even whether you're talking about it with someone else saying, hey, do you know anybody who can do this? Or, or publishing it to a web page or one of the many places, LinkedIn and many of the others that you can attempt to have people apply. And you can start by saying, here are the three to five things that you need to do, do in order to be successful in this role. And I, and I emphasize the word do because I think every one of those sentences has to start with a verb. So you're not allowed to say, good communication skills, mm -hmm. 
right? You, good communication skills is useless unless it's in the context of how you're using that communication. Can communicate effectively communication with the team, with the, with the team. Exactly, mm. yeah. So, so the, the skill of having, let's just say, um, to being able to articulate something well is, is part of the skill of having good communication. But to say something like, must have great communication skills versus manage a team of 12 people, five of whom are in another country and time zone, and the rest of whom are you know, in your local office, that gives you context for what kind of, you know, now you're dealing in different time zones. When you write an email before you go to bed, you better hope that, that you're not waking up to, what? I don't understand. And so that, that puts a context of why you need good communication skills. You're not allowed to say, must have three years of iOS development. You have to say something like, we are developing an app for our customers that does this. And if it's a competitive advantage, you don't have to say exactly what it is, but you can just say, it uses the camera function in order to allow people to blah, blah, blah. And that, there are so many reasons why that reliably leads to conversations with people who are better fitting. And there are even more reasons why not doing that is a bad thing. <laughs> and I think, you know... Uh, sorry to interrupt there. I, I have the opposite frustration with candidates where we we hmm. always put a couple of questions with the applicants just to get a sense of who they are. And sometimes one of the question is, Perfect. why are you applying and you know, why have you chosen to apply for this role? And probably 50% mm -hmm. of the time for these tech roles, they'll say, because I like the technology you, you are using and I want a remote role, right? Or something like mm -hmm. that. And that, mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't give us absolutely anything about their interest or unique passion in joining us or the role. And it's, it's, sure. it's that equivalent. I mean, I know what they're trying to say. And obviously, by definition, we are all self-interested. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some people have said great things in the past, like, you know, it looks like you're building a great product and I'd love to be part of a smart remote team that's, that's doing something new. And, and so, so I think from mm -hmm. the candidate perspective as well, which we'll talk about shortly, that's also, mm -hmm. they also have to think in those terms of, of providing context. But Steve, for, what about for junior roles? I mean, you, you know, it's easier to describe these bigger picture contexts if it's, you know, leadership positions or senior roles. But what about if you are hiring for a role that is quite production oriented, there's, there's quite a bit of just um, mm -hmm. day to day, you know, transactional or grunt work that needs to do. How can you make sort of the job ad appealing in that sense where literally a lot of what they are doing is perhaps less, uh, there's less judgment, it's less um, qualitative, it's more quantitative? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you clearly want people who are intrinsically motivated to do that kind of work. And so I think the trick, I mean, if you, if you really back up and just look at the 80, do like an 80-20 analysis, right? 80-20 states that 80% of the outcome or the results come from 20% of the inputs. And it applies to so many things in life. And sometimes it's, you know, 95% to 5%, right? It, it applies in personal life. It applies in business. Most companies that have 10 salespeople are getting 80% of their revenue from the top two selling salespeople, right? Um, it's pretty typical that that happens. When you look at the 80-20 of, and I'll just look at the hiring side's perspective for now, think of you, for your company, hiring a person, what are the few most critical things that matter versus the trivial many? In other words, what's the least you need to know to be convinced that this person is a good fit, let's just say for an interview, Never mind hiring, but just to get through the first the first quality gate, right? In my opinion, what you're looking for is is two things: that the person is capable of doing the work, and so that presupposes that you've defined the work, not just the technology and the, the kinds of things they're working on, but the kinds of things they're going to need to do. What are the outcomes? And also that they're motivated. And so what you can do is, I, I really like how you're putting in those questions right in the beginning as kind of the first gate to get to know someone. So one of the things that I do is I'll say, um, I actually don't look at resumes right away. Mm -hmm. um, someone has to come, come back to this auto-reply or whatever system you use where you have it set up where they actually have to respond to something first, not just close their eyes and click apply, right? Because I don't know who's applying. And so 
when that comes in, I'll say, thanks so much for your interest. They'll get an auto reply, probably similar to yours. And it says, my questions are really, number one, it'll say, you'll see that the, the performance objectives are one, two, and three. These are the three most important things that you need to do in order to be considered successful in this job. Please write a concise sentence after each one that just tells me the most relevant accomplishment in your career so far. Now, maybe someone didn't do that exact thing. Many skills are portable. Uh, sometimes you don't know one technology and it's fairly easy to learn another one. It's just a quick learning curve. But that gives them the opportunity. Well, first of all, it gives us the opportunity to weed out people that aren't even going to do three minutes of thinking, right? So if they're, it's like my, my business partner always says, I have to laugh. She says, when people recruit, we do so much work usually to weed out the weak when the weak are happy to weed themselves out. So my strategy is to identify the strong. That's intrinsically what you're doing when you say, tell me why you're interested in this. And if they just say, oh, because I like working from home, well, okay, but that's that's not by definition somebody intrinsically motivated and that you know is capable. But this kind of tests for both things, right? It tests for motivation, at least to get the job. And it allows them to, te I'm testing now their capability in, well, first of all, following simple directions. If I say, write a concise sentence and somebody copies and pastes, you know, 12 bullet points from their resume, they're really not thinking. They're just doing the least that they need to do, right? And so I end up with a small percentage of great people to talk to, and then you can move it further down the line. So I think you write the job description in a way that describes the outcome. You ask them why they're convinced that they can get that same outcome here. And then you can, for me, I would get into other personal things that make it uh, to try and understand for both of us whether we're a good fit for each other. But all of this is also affected by supply and demand, right? And what I mean by that for, sure. you know, in the tech industry, I'll give you an example. We've got a product that's built on quite well-established technology stack, PHP and MySQL. Mm -hmm. And then we're building mm -hmm. a, a new product built on a much more cutting-edge technology stack, Node.js and React. Now, if we put a job ad for on the PHP stack, we get absolutely flooded with um, applications. If we put a job ad on the React stack, it's it's very, very light. So on the PHP side of things... The supply is the there, supply right? is not there. So on the PHP side of things, yeah. we can really focus on trying to surface that quality. And, and we've, we've approached mm -hmm. that by, by putting these absolutely crazy job specs. We're throwing in the kitchen sink and that just sort of bubbles mm -hmm. the people. On the React side of things, we've got to be a little bit more creative and we've got to sort of be a bit wider and try to find mm -hmm. these unpolished diamonds and it, our strategy has got to be quite different as well. So, I mean, the, the supply and demand does um, play a factor in all of this, right? Sure, I agree, yeah. But, but I would still argue that even though certainly when there's high demand and, and low supply, um, you are in a different situation as the hiring person, as a hiring side, but I would still argue that you shouldn't really change your strategy so much. In other words, even if there are a thousand people that apply for the job, I think your job isn't to weed out the weak so that you remain with whoever's left. To me, that kind of strategy is optimized for getting the least bad person who will do the work for the amount of money that you'll pay. Yeah. And, but if, if you change your mindset and say, I'm not trying to weed out anybody, I'm trying to identify the strongest. The strongest meaning the most capable, the most motivated, and the best fit, right? And I'm starting that, so you might get a thousand job descriptions for one that has very high supply. But for, for another technology that has very low supply, I still say it's the same argument. The mindset is, I'm going to try and identify the best just in your job description. So if I'm somebody that has a very high demand, low supply skill set, and I'm looking for a job, um, I'll just pick Java out of, out of the air. So let's say it's Java and I'm looking for a Java job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have options, right, by definition, because it's, it's low supply and high demand. I would argue that I'm already more likely to want to work with your company if you've given me compelling reasons to want to do that work for your company. So, so it's kind of a marketing thing first, right? And then once you do that, 
then you're identifying, we are identifying together whether it's a good fit. Now, I know that the position many people are in when they're hiring is that they're overwhelmed by resumes. And so they think, I don't have time to look at a thousand resumes, right? Which is understandable. You're trying to be more efficient. But again, I think that, and there are lots of, uh, I don't I don't know if you have this in, uh, I don't know if this exists outside the, the United States, but there's a popular service mm-hmm. in the United States called ZipRecruiter. Mm-hmm. And what they attempt to do is find you the, the right, you know, the quote, perfect fit based on your specs very quickly. Well, what they have is this growing database of resumes. Many of them are fake, but even if they weren't, I mean, even if all half of them are fake, right? There's still millions of resumes out there. But the problem from my side is that it's an attempt to organize the work just in terms of efficiency, right? I mean, to me, the biggest waste is to do something very efficiently that shouldn't be done in the first place. It's it's kind of back to the roast story, right? If I'm selling a technology that chops off the ends of the roast as fast as possible, but nobody said, does it make sense to even chop off and waste all this meat to begin with? Then you're just doing something faster that shouldn't be done. I think that a, a service like that doesn't do the whole industry a service because they're inherently saying we can weed out the weak really fast and we can just identify the people that have five years of this skill and three years of that skill. And I would say whether it's high, high supply or low supply, when you only have specs that say must have five years, must have three years, must have two years, you're only getting people whose resumes say that they have five years, three years, and two years of X skill. That doesn't mean that they're capable of doing the work. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that they actually have that experience. But to me, it doesn't matter. We want to get as quickly as possible to answering the question, are you capable and motivated to do this work? And that conversation to me starts by being more human. And I think even if you, whether you get a thousand applications or you get 10, I still treat it the same way. I write the most compelling job description for the person that I'm, that I'm trying to get to, right? Same as marketing, right? Marketing is, you know, nobody buys an advertisement uh, for the Super Bowl in the U.S., if they're only targeting a very small demographic, they want to get right to their demographic and they want to have the right message so that when that person sees it, they're like, that product is for me, that job is for me. So if you start there and then you have some kind of system and that that's what we use. So we have a system at my company when we are actually recruiting versus using somebody that's already in our network where they just get an auto reply that says, hey, thanks so much for, and it's very human message. Like, we're happy that you're interested in this. Please let me know, like, you know, the most relevant things that you've accomplished according to this. And that's the start of a conversation. And if we get 10 resumes, only one of them will respond to that, which is great. And by the way, the other, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, Kevin, but when I made the point that I think technology exacerbates um, some of the problems instead of helps, here's a good example of that. The reason that you're overwhelmed by resumes when it's a high supply situation is that most of these, actually all of them that I'm familiar with, make it as easy as possible for people to apply for jobs. They view that as a feature. I view it as kind of a bug (laughs) in a way. So I don't know if you know this because you may not have been on the job market recently, but when you search for a job, so I'll use my Java example again. Mm -hmm. If I'm searching for a Java job and I type in Java developer, United States, and it comes up with a thousand listings, I can literally click select all and apply Mm -hmm. all. So to me, that makes it very easy for anybody to just close their eyes and apply for a thousand jobs, but it certainly doesn't make it easy on the person that's getting the resumes. And so that person now says, I'm overwhelmed, I'm inundated, how do I make this easier? I need to change my strategy to weed out the weak so that only the strong are left. But I say it's the same, it's really the same thing, but it is a different mentality. I'm going to identify the strong, the weak will weed themselves out. And that's exactly why we we ask a few questions, because even just a few initial questions weeds them out. I mean, I think one of the challenges with technology as well is that marketing problem you spoke about, so the company needing to you know, view their job ad as a, as a marketing piece. Mm-hmm. The problem on the flip side is that technology people 
are technology people. They're not marketers, right? So themselves. So, <laughs> right. so the yeah. people applying right. for the job ads a lot of the time aren't particularly good at selling themselves. And to me, this also comes you know, as part as the art of hiring right, is looking for those unpolished diamonds where their resume on the face of it looks quite plain, but you notice a few exceptional things, a couple of achievements, or they've uh, seemed to have accelerated through their career quite a lot. They might even be, and in Australia, we got the challenge where um, people play down their achievements, right? It's a different culture mm-hmm. to America where you, it's, not, sure. it's not that culturally acceptable to, to really promote yourself very heavily. So Humility is, is more respected, yeah. right? Where in America, I think even humble people we're taught this is the time to to kind of boast about yourself. If there's ever a time, this is the time, right? That's what we're, that's what's in our minds. Absolutely. So, you know, as the the, the person on the other end, even if we do a great job of marketing and getting and, and getting decent pipeline, the good candidates don't necessarily make themselves stand out, and that's the tricky thing as well. And then maybe we can talk about you know how can a candidate? I think technology people are not infamously bad at at putting resumes mm-hmm. and applications together. I mean, it's so seldom that I see a fantastic one, and when they do, they really stand out. Everything from presentation of the resume to answering sure. the questions correctly, or sometimes even following up um, applications, etc. Right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, it's they're, they're in a tricky position because many of the systems don't don't give them access for, for good reasons. Yeah, they don't. I mean, if you've got a thousand resumes in the last twenty four hours, the last thing you want is is a thousand follow up emails, right? Even though it might be a nice idea from the candidate side, but it's just it's functionally unmanageable for you. And so, I am of the opinion that someday we will be out of the resume business. I hope so. LinkedIn, um, I mean, LinkedIn I, yeah, sort I think, of try to do that. Yeah. But but LinkedIn is, in my opinion, is actually a good, I, if there is going to be a resume, it should be a living, I agree. you know, updated I agree. document that we can all. All you need is a good yeah. LinkedIn, unless you want to go the extra mile and have a website, but make sure that's good. A lot of people link to their websites, their personal websites mm-hmm. with sort of their resume on and they're pretty lousy, um, which just, <laughs> sure. uh, I, I mean, I think one strategy, Steve, though, that I think is so underutilized, at least in Australia, I don't know about the U.S., is you do not have to wait for a job ad to try to get a, a, a great job at a great company, right? And I, and I get frustrated with some of my younger friends that, that you know, are struggling to find a job. I say, you, you don't need to wait sure. for a job ad. Be proactive. Be proactive. Very Reach smart. out yep. for a coffee, right? Just it is. Yeah. Everyone's available on email. Everyone's available on LinkedIn. Take a week off. Put yourself in a room. Send out three hundred emails. Be smart about how you approach it. But from a candidate perspective, if you only applying on a job ad, you even just need another two candidates, and that brings your rate of success probability down to one third, which is pretty low, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in the U.S., unfortunately, the by far the lowest percentage way to get an interview and a job is to apply for a job. So there is a one in two hundred and fifty chance that you're going to get hired overall, which is nothing when right? you submit a resume. So, as everybody knows, you know it's it's always best to have a warm lead and a contact. But I, I think you're right. The advice that I give both young professionals and more established professionals is that they should, number one, be very proactive. Number two, treat their job search as if it were a job. I mean, as if, you know, it's, it's amazing to me the number of, the amount of resources and money and time that we put into something like, to, to managing a project like a wedding, for example, right? I mean, you know, a year out, you have a wedding planner, which is essentially a project manager. You have a budget for everything. And that is hours of your life, hopefully one time, right? And and you put so many resources into it where this 
a career, your next job is arguably where you're going to be spending more of your waking hours than anything else. And so I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, it's not even just send 100 emails. It's, it's like, treat this like this, this is your business. This is your job and take it seriously. But as far as what to actually do, I always tell people to prioritize actually doing work that you want to do or you want to be able to do or you want, you know, one of the things that younger people say is that there's a catch-22 in that companies want to hire people with experience, but you have to have experience in order to get a job. So like, how am I supposed to do this, right? I don't think that that carries weight anymore, especially in, in tech, but really for anything. But let's just take tech for, let's just take people that build things, right? Or people that use data, whatever it is. Everybody knows somebody. Go donate your time. Go volunteer at, at some organization one day a week. You will expand your Rolodex, your resume, and your reputation, the, the three R's that really matter. And you're actually doing work. So if you're a, a developer and you work on Android or iOS, let's say, go offer to build an app for someone. Even if you have no experience, go offer to do it for free. Like prioritize actually doing work. And, and I would say for some of the things that are kind of self-limiting beliefs of people that are more established in their career who want to find more meaningful work is they have the experience, they've done things, but they are categorizing themselves. So for instance, someone will say, well, I'm a finance guy or I'm a retail industry guy or gal, whatever it is. And I think if you start looking more about the kind of work that you do. And by work, I mean problem solving, right? That's, that's what all of our work is, is it solves a problem. So what are the problems that you enjoy and that you excel at solving? And where do you want to do it? The fact that you spent 20 years in pharma or retail or whatever it is, is less relevant in terms of getting your next job than it is to really understand what are you good at that maybe many other people aren't. How do you like to solve problems? Who do you like to work with? And then you start asking around. And that's part of your job in finding a new job is talking to other people, talking to people in different industries, talking to people that have the job that you want to have. And networking that way, as opposed to just locking yourself up in the library at home and just mass applying for jobs. It's okay to do that. I think, you know, I'm not I'm not knocking applying for jobs because certainly if you if you don't, you have zero chance, right? Let alone, you know, 0.5 chance or whatever it is. Um, but I think there have to be many tactics and you want meaningful work, not just a job, right? I assume most people. And I think I think what, you know, the, the very high-profile companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook, Intel, they may get quite a lot of unsolicited reach-outs for coffees, mm. etc. But there's a whole layer of companies one notch down from that, right, that I can mm -hmm. guarantee you the execs there get hardly any. Right approaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, story that uh, that I tell sometimes many years ago in the early days of the internet, where I, when I was still in South Africa and I was uh, working in talkback radio at the time, I reached out by email that time to the head of New York City's biggest talkback radio station, and I said, "Hey, I'm going to be in New <laughs> York for a week. I'd love to come and see your setup." He replied back, and he said, "Sure." I said to my station manager in South Africa at the time, I said, hey, Alan, I'm, I'm you know, lucky enough to be going on a, a trip to New York for two weeks, and I'm going to visit and meet with the station manager of the biggest radio station in New York City. And he said to me, he mm. said to me, Kevin, wow, how did you organize that? I said, I reached out and I asked him. You asked. <laughs> you know? and, and, <laughs> right. and I right. really get frustrated with people. It's really that simple. Sure, to get, to get a meeting mm -hmm. with the CEO of Google and Twitter and all that, forget it. Sure. Right. But sure. the one-notch yeah. companies at down or even execs at Google that maybe um, aren't in. I mean, when I first visited San Francisco nearly 10 years ago, 
I actually put up uh, a Craigslist ad in the Making Friends section mm. and said, hi, I'm an Australian coming to San Francisco. I'd love to meet locals mm. to show me around. I met an Australian that was That's living so cool. there for quite a while. We became friends. She introduced me to someone who worked as a bookkeeper at Google. This bookkeeper at Google knew a product manager at Google, and this product manager at Google took me around and introduced me to all these other great product managers, and we've stayed in touch mm. over the years. So to get a so, so to get a little bit and and these are not really time consuming uh, things but it's being a little bit more mm-hmm. proactive and that's probably the one word I would just encourage people just just put a little bit of proactivity in it as opposed to just waiting for people to put those ads out and it might just put a little bit of f- put a fuel on your efforts and help you get that job where you love going into work every day which is which is really the aim and which is really what we all want is that meaningful work right agreed yeah. Steve, um, it's been great talking to you. Is your book available online? Where can we find it? It is on Amazon. Yes, sir. So Steve's book is Why Technology Recruiting is Broken and What to Do About It. Steve Acho is also the CEO of the Solstice Consulting Group. You're on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, I assume, if people want to reach out to you? LinkedIn is a, a great way to find me. Yes. Happy to connect with people and help any way I can. Terrific. It's been great talking with you. We really appreciate your time and thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, sir. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, we revisit this topic so often and tech recruiting, I mean, recruiting in general is just broken. I mean, it's just so frustrating for everyone that we're still struggling with, with, with techniques that, and uh, process that have been around forever, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think it worked out for the recruiters, but it's still quite challenging as uh, as a company trying to find the right people and being swamped with applications um, because of these automated services, which Steve also mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mentioned in the you know chatting how we just put a couple of questions in there just to, to if anything, just try to get around that issue and just try to appeal to people that are a little bit more more motivated but it's it's a challenge i mean i was uh, i was at a uh, i was at a seminar earlier this week by some business execs here in sydney and uh, they were speaking about how every year it is that much more difficult to retain uh, good team members especially i think there's I think there seems to be sort of two striders, especially in the tech world. There's you, you got countries like Australia and America where their economics are quite strong and the countries are quite stable and doing well and a lot of growth. And then you have countries like, for example, Eastern Europe or South America where there's some very highly educated, experienced people, but their economies are struggling a lot more. And for them, for people in those countries, it's still actually pretty tricky to get a job. I was chatting with someone in Eastern Europe this morning around some recruiting issues and uh, he said he said in their country because it's you know most people who want to get a decent playing job they they need to work for a, remotely for a, a company outside of their their country. But what interestingly what he said as well he said is via torrents they access university material from all the universities around the world and they self-learn which was quite interesting right so i'm sure they get access to it i'm sure i don't know obviously someone illegally dumps material and videos and who knows what else course material from some of the top universities and he said in their country that's what they they self-learn and I, I don't it's obviously not legal and we certainly never condone illegal content and uh, breaching copyright etc but in a way the benefit is the country lands up uh, skilling up you know so this is 
in a way, this is the new the new environment that's uh, that's happening. And uh, and he and he said to me as well. He said, "Look, we've got to work that extra mile to get." Uh, to get good jobs in, in the West, they, they come a little bit easier. Um, I also had a chat this week with someone in Sydney. Um, I don't think I told uh, you about it. I think, I think I told Joe about it. A young chap who's 16 years old that was offered a full scholarship to study computer science. And um, he said to me he's, he rejected that offer because in order to accept that offer, he would have to complete the last two years of school. And he's been coding since he was about 10 years old. And he just wants to code and work in the real world. And he just, he just doesn't want to – he just feels like he's learning a lot more being out of school than in school. So, and he's looking for a full-time um, programming job. So, nice. Yeah, I don't blame him. <laughs> it's like at least – at least five years of his life, he's going to have to finish school and then do another three years of university minimum. And he already knows how to code. And from what, I mean, I haven't done computer science, but from my university experience and from talking to people who have done computer science, you don't learn a whole lot really. Like you're self-teaching yourself anyway. Well, I think I think the challenge with school and with uni is it's, it's not compressed learning. I, I, I think you do learn and you do learn valuable skills, but it's, it's not optimal timing. It's a lot of time for, you know, smaller sort of learning and payoff. And I think, I think those whole models really need to change. And I think they are changing de facto. I think kids learn a lot through YouTube and through the internet and they're learning a lot themselves in any case. So it's, it is changing, but I, I can see why someone who it just doesn't suit just say, well, I'm, you know, I'm learning in a day what I learn at school in two weeks, sort of what's the point, you know? So the education system really needs to rise up and, and match where we at? I, I feel there's still some way to go, but um, yeah, wow, it's uh, it's it's certainly quite bold of him. I'm sure he'll eventually, you know, anyone who's self-taught since ten, you know, ha- would be able to get a job somewhere in Sydney. They, everyone's desperate for developers, so yeah, interesting to see the the shifts and changes on that on that side of things. And um, but you know, he's he's definitely definitely uh, in. In Sydney, I don't think, and and in the states, and the supply is just so far behind the demand for developers that um, you know it's it's really actually in a way holding back the the development of the industries. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the interesting thing too about which I've learned since coming to Whistler is the the university experience in different countries is like vastly different. So in Australia, most people live at home with their parents and they commute to university and then they go there maybe three times a week on a part-time. I mean, they're studying full-time, but they're not doing, you know, full-time work hours at uni. They're just in and out type thing between lectures and tutorials. Um, But like, for example, in England, apparently everyone lives on campus. Like everyone leaves home, lives on campus. And like, it's not only learning about your degree it's like also just a you know learning to survive by yourself and getting along with others and living outside of the home managing your money all that stuff like you actually learn a lot personally as well as you know through an education and you spend a lot of time there with people who are doing the same thing as you and you're kind of really submerged in that whereas in Australia it just seems to lack it a lot yeah I think it's a more you know, America as well, it's a more liberal arts, holistic type of education. I know at a lot of universities in America, you you do have to live on campus for the first two years. That's part of the requirements. And some universities, I think I know it, at Yale and probably others, you have to become fluent in a second language and you have mm. to under you have to create some significant charity project of sorts as well. So mm. It's, it's a different approach. It's, it's, I mean, the argument is that it's much more indirect skills and learning, whereas maybe in Australia or South Africa, I mean, South Africa, you could be a qualified accountant by the time you were, I don't know, 23, 24 and, and, and be deep in it, but you wouldn't have had all this holistic experience. So it also depends on, on the luxury to, to have the time and the cost of the side sure. of things as opposed to the vocational side of things where we're going and learning a skill and we're getting, you know, Australia tradespeople do incredibly well. So, you know, a lot of mm. people choose to 
to, to become tradespeople because there's a lot of good work, it's a lot of good money. And um, in, in a way, you know, you don't have to go to a three, four-year degree and then still not exactly quite have direction. So hey, different models, different models, I guess. But um, great. I think that's episode 113 done. So we've got some great interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks. If you want to be interviewed or you know anyone who wants to be interviewed or you'd like a specific guest, email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. And also go back and listen to some of the previous shows. The last year we had some fantastic guests. We have had David Hanemeyer Hansen from uh, the CEO of Basecamp, who's a great outspoken person. I chatted with Dr. John Demartini, who's a a self-development guru. Even going back further, we chatted with uh, Melanie Perkins, who's the CEO of Canva. We've had all sorts of people. So if you do enjoy this podcast, go back in the archives a little bit and uh, you'll find some, some interesting shows. There are now 112 previous episodes. So a little bit. We even chatted about Bitcoin way back. It probably was a very clunky discussion because I understood very little about it. But So I'm, I'm a little bit fearful to go and listen to what my questions were about it. But uh, maybe one day I'll listen and that'll be a little bit of fun. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the podcast. <laughs>